if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at the first 16 verses. Um, we are in chapter 4 today, and, and Paul's really shifting his letter. I've said this a couple times where he's shifting, and he's, and he's talking about different focuses. But this is a unique shift to the first three chapters because the first three chapters were really focused on what we have in Christ and who we are in Christ. What we have in Christ and who we are in Christ. So the first seven weeks, if, if you're someone who easily forgets, like me sometimes, um, then let me just take you through what the last seven weeks have looked like. We've filled in this statement every, about every week, we fill in the statement, we are, so that we understand who we are in Christ and some of the things we have in Christ. And, and although we'll continue that we are, it's, it's more of our role than, than our identity, what, what our identity means and then how our role helps define that. But the first seven weeks, we talked on these we are statements all wrapped around identity. That the first two verses, the first message we, we talked through in the book of Ephesians was Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. And in those two verses, we, I nailed home the point that your identity is in Christ. That together we are in Christ. And then the following week, looking at verses 3 through 14 in chapter 1, we talked about how we are blessed. That we are blessed. And then we talked about how we are appreciated. We are appreciated by Jesus. That was a weird thing to think on. Some of us really have a difficult time with that, going, man, it's for the glory of God. Yes, but you are appreciated in your faithfulness. Then we talked about how we are made alive. Our our title of our series comes out of that and how we're made alive in Christ, that we're reconciled to him, through him, to the Father, how we are fellow heirs, so it's no longer just Gentile over here, Jew over here, and God somewhere in the middle, but we are united together as fellow heirs heirs receiving the gospel. And then last weekend, uh, we looked at Paul's prayer and how we are strengthened. And towards the end of chapter three and verses 14 through 21, how we're strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit and Christ in us. And now beginning in chapter four, Paul's really going to focus on how we are to walk in Christ. So Paul's really made a, a big deal in the first three chapters. Listen, before you do Anything activity-wise, as a believer, here's who you are in Christ. Here's who you are in Christ. Here's what Christ says about you. Here's what God thinks about you. Before you've done anything else, those first three chapters are important doctrine and some incredible theology of here's what God thinks of you. Here's the truth about you in Christ. But now in chapter four, he's gonna shift over the next three chapters as we look at and we break this down, Paul's really going to focus on how we are to walk in Christ. And what we'll read in verse 15 is that Paul is encouraging the church that we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Now, my son is always a great example to me um, because I'm always seeing examples of him growing up. Um, I'm watching where this kid, you know, he kind of walks like a monkey a little bit. And he just kind of does this waddle thing, you know, and he's learning. He's growing up. He's learning to walk more maturely. You know, he, he now can, can take certain toys and actually put them in their proper places and seeing him grow up. And so there's times where I'm getting to see him growing up. And there's other times where I'm watching him and I'm telling him, you need to grow up. Okay, so there, there's two different aspects of that. I'm, I'm seeing him mature and then I'm seeing other areas where I'm like, dude, that fit was ridiculous. I don't speak Wynese. What's your deal? You know, and, and, and this is the, the point of how I'm getting to see my son in this example. 
And so really what, what I think is really important is Paul really tells the church to grow up into maturity and to be a united body. The reality is that not everyone who grows up or grows old grows up. Not everybody who grows old grows up. So there's a vast difference between age and maturity. There's this idea that if you grow older, you are more mature. Mm, I don't think so, especially in our world. But and ideally, the older we are, the more mature we should be. But too often, I think the ideal does not become the real. The ideal does not become the real. And so what, what's presented in this is a bunch of problems. This presents itself in problems in our personal lives, in our work lives, in our homes, in our families, in all those relationships, and even in our churches. And so these problems in these areas are really caused by an immaturity more than anything else. Really by an immaturity that we, that we see. And so as Paul opens in chapter 4, he's really writing to the church to equip them to be mature in their walk. That they would grow up into Christ. Because if we as Christians, I've said this to you before, if we would grow up, then what would happen is we would become victors instead of victims. We would become victors instead of victims. That's a whole different mentality. That's a whole different identity. That in Christ we are victors, we're not victims. And I think this is really important because God's goal for us as a church family is to grow into maturity as believers in Christ. But there's, there's the problem of maturity, that most churches are filled with spiritual infants. They're not filled completely with mature, mature believers or maturing believers. Often, you'll hear statements like, come as you are, or no perfect people allowed. And I think there's, there's, a, there's a great thought behind that, a Jesus-hopeful approach to that. But the problem of that is we reject the mature where they could speak into those of us that are immature. And so we're saying, well, you have a maturity, but I don't agree with you because I'm immature. And so, well, no perfect people allowed, so I'll exist in my immaturity, and you exist over here in your maturity. But we're all together called to grow up into Christ. And, and I think the problems in our church, we really see the immaturity by what people complain about. By what people complain about really is a great, uh, a really good perspective of, of someone's immaturity or maturity. That some, for some, in their immaturity, they'll complain about others. They'll complain about methodology and ministry. They'll complain about something you should do or you shouldn't do, and I'm not talking about core biblical truths that we should grow up into maturity of, but I'm talking about someone walks in to a time of worship and can't see the heart that we are to worship God, and, and then people leave the church and go, you know, I just you know, wasn't really liking the music. Really? I didn't know worship was about you. Now, let me, let me just say, in our opening song, there was a piece that we all acknowledged. There's some maturing in of, oh man, okay, that, that sound needs to change. Things were kind of reverberating a little loudly. So we could agree that there's areas to grow and mature. But I think in, in immature believers, it really shows the immaturity by what they complain about. But it's okay to be a baby Christian. As you start out, both Paul and Peter and the writer of Hebrews reference points of beginning. You're not, you know, you're not going to get a five-pound steak put in front of you. You're, he says, long, Peter says, long for spiritual milk, the beginning of that, that you would grow into wisdom. So it's okay for us to begin at an immature level as babies in Christ, but we're not intended to stay that way. Paul makes that very clear. We're meant to grow up. Now, let me say this. Let me, before we get to our text, I think this is really important. In Christ is your identity. Your gifts 
are your activity. In Christ is your identity. Your gifts is your activity. Your identity in Christ explains who you are. Your spiritual gifts help clarify what you do. Okay, so there's a difference there because I think often what we do is when we're trying to figure out, man, God, what is the gift that you've given me? Our our tendency sometimes is to wrap our whole identity around that, our whole life around that. But there's a difference between identity and gift. Your gift is not your identity. So I'm not a preacher. I'm a follower of Christ that preaches. I'm not a preacher. I'm a follower of Christ who preaches the word. There's a difference there. So before I get up here, before we turn on the lights and I open my Bible, I am in Christ. That is my identity. My gift explains my activity. But my identity is a whole different, a whole different thing there. And so as we grow into maturity, it is in Christ for the body to grow up in, in Christ. It's all in Christ. And so as Paul really shifts to, to a thinking of now your identity is in Christ, here's what that looks like for us to do together I really want us to understand that as we pursue that maturity, it's not a different or additive identity. Our identity is in Christ. Our gift is our activity. And so Paul is going to start in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 16. And if you don't have a Bible, there are some at the back. Um, and if you don't have a Bible at all, not just today, that, that's our gift to you. You can take one of those. And um, if not, it'll also be on the screen behind me. But chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions to earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended from far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so Paul, as he begins to really shift this focus here, he's saying, we are united together. That God's design and God's plan for his church is unity for us together. That with him and with each other, that we would be unified. And so God's desire is really that with our identity in Christ, we would walk through this life together. 
not as isolated individuals, but together as a Christian community. And in the first part of chapter four, what we just read, Paul maps out how we should walk as believers and that our lives should be defined by humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love and eager to maintain unity and eagerness. That's intriguing to me, an eagerness, because even that you imagine when something's new, it's not that hard to maintain. But he's really encouraging the church, be eager to maintain this. Don't just think about maintaining this, be eager to do so. So for you and I to pursue this kind of unity together, we have to be real about what kind of unity this is. And I think a big important piece that's overlooked when it comes to us being unified together, I think we sometimes, and I'm not saying this is you, but for me, I think sometimes is because you're in Christ and I'm in Christ, I have to like you. And, and there's a piece there where we're called to genuine love. But what I mean by this is I think this kind of unity is authentic. It's real. You and I are different and we lean into the relationship, even in the midst of our differences. So this is not just a 60-minute church service, and it's not just two hours of Bible study a week. These things are good, but this is not just what unity is for us as a body. This is where we are stepping into relationship to be known and to fully know, both God and one another. This is where you and I need to begin to be real. Because I think there's some times where we, we don't step into these environments to be real. We step into these environments maybe because we think it's necessary, because we grew up in that thinking, this is what I have to do, and that makes God happy. But when we are truly united together, what this means is is a different kind of community that's authentic. It's where you and I are stepping in to be real, where we are in our walk showing what God is, is showing us. We're sharing what God is showing us, how he is molding us, and how he's convicting us. Because the Christian life is not man's made version of being a good person. It's God's wholeness and righteousness offered to erect an unrighteous people by Jesus and through Jesus. And so it's, a, it's an intimate relationship. But the reality is we have to allow ourselves to be fully known. You can't just step into it and go, I'm going to answer the three questions and walk away. You'll never experience authentic Christian community where we are united together. Because being united together means we are stepping into the community of believers, risking everything because of Christ. Risking everything because of Christ. But I think many of us sit back and, and through, just kind of go through the motions without ever risking stepping into unity. We kind of step into the aspect of community. We, we, we come on a Sunday. We go during midweek to, to a group. We may dabble in community, but we're not risking being hurt, being fully known, all our sin, all our shame, all our inadequacies, all our own thinking of perfection out on the table. And maybe for you, it's because of pain. Maybe it's because of hurt or a disunity that you've experienced. Maybe it's a lack of interest. Maybe it's any of these things, but I I really believe for us, church, to be a unified body. Let me tell you this. It's important that we do this authentically. Not trying to fluff up where we're at. Not trying to say, here's how much time I spend in the word. Man, you should be spending more time in the word, but being authentic, here's how I'm wrecked right now. 
Here's all of my shame. Here's all of my sin laid out in, in the table. And that doesn't mean that every environment is the safest place to do that. But I think in the body, there's, there's a value to getting together to be known and to fully know authentically with fellow believers. But it's much harder to feel loved and have deep, authentic community if you're hiding. It's, it's near impossible. I would say it's not even happening for you at that point. It's much harder for you to feel loved and to have deep community if you're hiding. And I think what's really hard in that then too is that we create our own ideas of what's going on, of who people are, of how people think, because we're not stepping into real community with them. We're not being authentic and saying, here's what's going on in my life. I'm not only gonna bring into my ministry, I'm gonna bring into my mess. And this last week, I've just been thinking a lot about authenticity. And not just because it's, it's one of the first words on, in our mission statement, but genuinely because I, I believe that uh, a lot of, of leaders that I've seen around me that fail is, is when they're not authentic with anyone. Because they're too afraid that if I don't know more than you, if I do not seem more put together than you, then I've already failed. I'm not more put together than you. I'm not more spiritually sound than you. I'm not more financially sound than you. I've just been put in a place to go before you. And I believe that what God's speaking to me is that is an authenticity. Not in more stability, but in authenticity with my mess. And so this last week, I began meeting with another leader, not in, not in a church, he's not even a pastor, but he's a ministry leader outside the church. And I started meeting with him uh, this last Thursday morning. And every Thursday morning, we're gonna get together and we just lay all our junk out on the table. And I will tell you this, authenticity is one of the most important and one of the most scariest things you will ever do. To sit with someone and say, here's all my stuff. Here's everything that lingers in the dark of my life that I want to bring into the light. Are you pursuing being fully known and fully knowing God and his body? And like I said, that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean with everyone but I think getting together and being authentic is important. And so not only is this, this kind of community and, and this type of unity uh, authentic, it needs to be authentic, it also needs to be unconditional, loving. One of the key parts of our walk that Paul encourages to grow up into is to bear with one another in love. Now, I think Paul's wording is really important here because he doesn't say carry one another. He says bear with one another bleed with one another, carry the, don't carry these things for that person, walk through these things with that person. So Paul's not, not suggesting to let fellow believers walk all over us, but it does mean we treat one another different and we view one another different because this is the commandment that Jesus gave in John 13, verse 34 and 35. He says, a new command a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And then he says this, verse 35, very important. By this, by this commandment, by this action, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So, so you may have all the right answers. You, you may have all the right practices, but do you love God's church? Do you love God's church? See, this, this new commandment is a new way of living and a new way of walking. 
And I think sometimes what, what I have the sense and this conviction of is sometimes I walk through my Christian walk with an additive of this new commandment. But Jesus says, this new commandment I give to you, I want you to walk in this. Everything you do, I want you to love others. I want you to love me and love them. All people will know that you are my disciples, not by your theology, not by your Bible study, not by the big words you can rattle off that no one knows how they came about, but if you have love for one another. So this kind of unity is unconditional. This is where our lives should look really upside down and sideways to non-believers. Because if it makes sense, something's wrong. If our lives make sense to non-believers, I believe something is wrong there. That you and I are not called to a life that makes sense. That how we vote, I don't talk about politics, but I'm just saying how you vote should look different than how a non-believer votes. How you go about your living day to day should look different than how a non-believer goes about their day. And I'm not saying you shouldn't, shouldn't drive a car that, that, that will get you from point A to point B, that you should have a crappy car and live, in, live in, in, a, in a smaller home than you do now. I'm saying think about the way you live. Think about those. D- don't, don't approach that by guilt, but by conviction. Is what I do bringing glory to God? Is my life making sense to those around me or does that not make sense at all? See, Paul really, really hammered home love a lot throughout all of his letters. And we know that one of the most popular ones where he maps out is in 1 Corinthians 13. And I think this, this section alone, really by these two lists of what love is and what love is not, really helps us define how our lives should look a little upside down. Because the love is list that Paul gives us is, is being patient, kind, rejoices in truth, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and it never fails. And love is not, he says, envy, boastful, proud, rude, self-seeking, easily angered, keeps a record of wrongs. Love does not do this, and love does not delight in evil. And you may think, well, I don't have a, a, a witch's thoughts, but I think sometimes we, we delight in evil. If we just wish that person would get what's coming to them, it's pretty evil. So let me just lay this before you. Which list do you align with more? Because if our lives are to look different, that means at the worst point of a person's life, how we treat them matters. At the best point of a person's life, it matters how we treat them. There are homeless people that walk into our church and I would greet them as I would greet our, our best tither. Because I don't care about that. That's not eternal. Our lives here on earth need to be with an internal focus. Are we, are we growing into this kind of unity as a church and aligning ourselves with the proper list of love? Because this is how all people, Jesus says, will know that we are his disciples. So this kind of unity needs to be unconditional. And so as we're called a a unified body that's to grow up and be authentic and and unconditional, it's with the goal that Christ can be shown through us. That we're united together. And Paul says we're united together by one God. Paul mentions six one statements, not not including the final seventh. So he, he mentions a total of seven statements with the word one before it. 
And in verse six, he gives the seventh statement, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That verbiage isn't translated very well into the English, but the original Greek gives more clarity on that, that it's unified, it's, it's singular. There isn't multiple versions of this. There isn't multiple gods active in this. It's one God. And we see the Trinity acting in this, but it's one God. One God. And this changes because I think often we really separate. We really have a tendency to think I'm unified over here, but I'm individually myself over here. If we're going to be fully known and fully know, there is no individually me. There is no me outside the body of Christ. There is only me in Christ active in the body. And so really we we become unified in this by one God. So when my wife and I got married, we were no longer two separate individuals, okay? So we, I, I, it was no longer David Lawler and Shauna Bisson. We were joined together and now have one marriage. We have one bank account. We have one last name. We have one house, one family, and one faith. There's a unity in there. So we are not only united together, but as the body of Christ, we are submitted to one God that is our Father. And when Paul uses the term in all, he is stressing the authority of God. Listen, this is in Christ, but it's, it's all in all through the authority of God. That he joins all people together under his own rule, regardless of social status, race, or gender. So it's not by our choosing that we are unified, it's by God. And I think sometimes that's really difficult for us. Sometimes it's a grumbling feeling, really God? I'm gonna share eternity with this person? I mean, you could just think about that. Sometimes I think we're, in our minds we think that. It's not by your authority, because I think the, the, the family of God would be cherry-picked. It would be special-picked. But in, by one God we are united together. Not by you, not by me but by God. I mean, think of the example of a, of a military unit. It has one leader. It works as a unit. It moves in one direction. It receives its orders and it obeys them. And all those in it work together because they have been trained to do so. And so maturity in this, training in this is important. That we've been united together by one God. And sometimes individual members of the group don't like what they get called to do. Sometimes they don't like the role they've been put in. And think about this military unit, but they do it faithfully for the greater good and for the unit as a whole. Therefore, they're able to accomplish a great deal because they act as one. It's not three of us over here acting like this. It's not two of us over here. But we'd rather act as this, but together moving as one, unified together. See, Jesus prayed to the Father. One of the last things Jesus prayed is that you and I would be unified in him and together just as he was with the Father. That was one of Jesus' last prayers. In John 17, verse 22, the prayer known as the high priestly prayer, Jesus says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. That they may be one even as we are one. This is, this is the God who acts. This is not the absent God. See, some faiths and some religions would say that although they believe in Christianity, they really believe that God is just not here. 
in any way, shape, or form, and God is distant and he's disconnected. But this is the God who acts. That we are united together by one God, active in this body through Christ. And he's calling us to a unity that he has made a way for us in Christ and gives us gifts from the Holy Spirit. And so this is the God who acts, that we're united together by one God and we're united for the work of the ministry. And Paul said in verses 11 and 12, I'm just gonna read this again. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So really right here, there's, in, in today's culture, there's two different ways of thinking of this. There's two different approaches to this verse. And here, even Paul kind of mentions it. There's a difference between a consumer mentality and a Christian mentality. In a consumer mentality, the leadership exists to serve you. The leadership is there to do what you say. The leadership is there to make sure you're happy. But in a Christian mentality, in a Christian approach, the leadership exists to equip you to serve others. The leadership is there specifically to equip you to serve others. And so the, the, in the consumer mentality, like a business transaction almost, the question would really be, how can I give the least amount of money and commitment to get the most return on my investment? That's a consumer mentality. How can I give the least to get the most? But the Christian mentality in the body of Christ, our, our question together is, how can I give How can I give my money, my time, my gifts, my capacities, my abilities, and where could I help bring unity? Where could I help bring more unity in the body and health to our church family? How can I give because he first gave? See, the first perspective is a business. The second is a family. The first is a business. The second is a family. And Paul states also in verse 16 that when each part is working properly, It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So that it builds itself up in love. And he told the church even earlier, what we looked at in chapter two, verse 14 through 17, that through Jesus, we are no longer two separate and segregated groups. We are joined together by Jesus to become his body. And so it is him we grow up into and we are called into the work of the ministry through. And so Paul really continued throughout all of his letters to the churches. And we see this in in, in his letter to the Ephesians, to the church in Corinth and in Rome, that they were it. Remember, Paul is an apostle and he's put elders in place. He's put evangelists in place. And so Paul is in a high leadership role, but he's not there. Think about this for a moment. Paul's one of their pastors, but he's not there. They were it. And it was those who were going out, who were using their gifts, not, the pa- not just the pastors, not just the teachers, not just the prophets. They were it. That all of us together are to do the ministry, using our gifts to serve one another. And the reason we're all called to the ministry of the church, not, not the building, but the body, the church, is because when we all pitch in, when we all participate, We help each other grow. And so for us to grow up into maturity, Paul says, you need to be unified. You're gonna grow farther apart. You're not gonna grow up. 
You're going to start reading things individually off on your own, and you're going to go, here's my thinking, well, here's my thinking, but we're called unity under Christ. No, 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 he's saying together, your gifts are to grow the body. You have a purpose here. So God intends to use the gifts he's given you to show the world who he is. That we wouldn't view this individually, but corporately together as a body. Playing our part to help others grow. Playing our part to help others grow. I think without this, I believe this is why so many are bored and discontent with Christianity. Because it's more of a consumer mindset than a Christian mindset. Come and check out what we do. The whole paid staff does everything else. You just show up. You show up and you just see. Come and see. There's no go and die. See, Jesus really preached two messages in his ministry. Come and see. Go and die. If you don't think so, read Luke 9. That if we want to follow him, we must pick up our cross and follow him daily. That there is come and see, but all of us together doing the work is, I have died to myself that Christ would live in me. So it's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. This is the kind of body that God desires to create in Christ. But I think our, our, our struggle is that we don't understand God's got a role for us to play. I think some of us struggle wondering, what am I supposed to do? And so in that struggle, I think sometimes we, we tend to uproot ourselves from church to church, from community to community, and, and never giving ourselves the opportunity to grow in a deepened relationship in the body. So as you leave this weekend, as you leave this morning, and you reflect on, on, on all that, that I've said this morning, I really want to challenge you and encourage you to ask yourself one question. To ask yourself this one question. Am I working to build up the body and be the church? Am I working to build up the body and be the church? Am I stepping into authentic community where I'm risking being fully known and fully knowing? Now, for some of us, I think part of our difficulty is we don't understand how God shaped us. We struggle to understand the gifts that God's given us. And one of, one of the great resources that I've always loved to use, it's not the, the perfect form, it doesn't replace scripture, but that it aligns with scripture and gives some clarity is a, a shape packet is what it's called that we use. And if you want to use that, I encourage you to, to look on our website. It's there on that that uh, page, and if you go to swctk.com forward slash shape, there is a shape packet on there that will walk you through understanding some of what those gifts are that you may have, and it shows you a complete outline of all of those gifts in scripture. And so if you're someone who wants more clarity, man, what are the gifts? What do they do? What's the purpose of that body together? I'd love to resource you with this, and we can even have a printed form available next week. But if you go to that link, that link will take you to that document where you can really do that test. That was one of the tests that I took a couple years ago that really began to challenge me where I stepped out of being a worship leader and a creative type because my test did not come high in administration and, and it didn't come high in creativity. It came high in leadership, shepherding, and teaching. And I just asked, what the heck, God? And I led one Sunday, and I didn't tank it. 
but I clearly heard the Holy Spirit say, David, it's time to put your guitar down and pick up the word. So when you ask yourself, am I working to build up the body and be the church? What is God calling you into? Maybe that's the new question. What is God, what is God calling you to step into? What is he calling you to step into? Let's pray.